0: Well, I'd like to invite uh, those of you that are fifth grade and below to come on up to the front, because I want to read a story for you. And there, there are surprises for you as well, so come on ahead. And you can join me, you can sit right here around the steps with me. And I promise that I won't bite. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, I Senate. it. And cedar. We got the youngest ones here today too. That's great. So let me ask you, older kids. Um, so you got school this week? You going to school? What are you doing this week? No. You don't have school? How come? You have a break. Why do you have a break? Well, Christmas. Oh, well, well, Christmas. Yeah, it's like duh. Tuesday, right? Y'all gonna celebrate Christmas on Tuesday. Some of you are gonna celebrate Christmas, uh, Monday night. I'm, we're gonna celebrate Christmas with some of our grandkids this afternoon. Me too. Excellent. Well, I was wondering this week, what should I share with you? What, what would make sense to you? And then I got on the, I got a text from my daughter who lives in California. And on that text was a little video clip from my three-year-old granddaughter, Lily. And what Lily was doing is she was reading the Christmas story from this book. Have you seen this book before? Yeah? And so I thought, you know what, if it's good enough for Lily to read, it's certainly good enough for her poppy to read. So let me read part of this story for you this morning. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would happen? What would it be like? What would He do? Would the mountains bow down? Would the seas roar? Would the trees clap their hands? The earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, He came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, He came. Here's the story of how that happened. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her house. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. And when she saw the tall, shining man standing there, she was frightened. I would be too. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to somebody else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy, and you will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and she felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant. Whatever God says, I'll do. That's the most important thing that I want you to remember from today is that Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see. And that brought her great, great hope. I'm going to talk to your parents now and some others here a little bit more about that. But let's remember, God, Mary trusted God more than her eyes could see. Now, to help you make it through the rest of our service this morning, I've got some special surprises for you. There's a a packet of... Coloring—it's like a coloring book that we made with some puzzles and some word searches and a maze is in there, and a box of crayons that you can use for that. And also, there's a special treat in there. Can I have one of those, Lori? All right, you all know what this is—candy candy cane. I can What do you know? What's what's interesting about a candy cane? Go ahead. Yeah, you were told, and, and rightly so, that the red represents Jesus' blood, his love for us. The white would represent his purity. What else do you see about this? What does this look like right now? doesn't look like a shepherd's crook. But if you turn it this way, what does it look like now? A J. A J. for Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, so if whether you suck on this during the service, that's up to your parents. They'll have to decide. Or later... Remember that this is a symbol for the love that Jesus has for us. Okay, I'll give mine to you. Go ahead and gather your your uh, learning packets and your crayons and your candy canes, and you can head back. Now I know the rest of you would love to have one of those. If I have a few left over at the end, come and see me. And while those children are returning to their seats, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter one? Luke chapter 1. Thanks for coming up and joining me, you guys. Hey, buddy. Thanks, (laughs) Senator. Hey, five. Thanks, buddy. All right. Well, you may have noticed... The three previous Sundays, we've been focusing on what we call the Advent season, and we've been lighting a candle every Sunday just to to give us an opportunity, an excuse really, to talk about uh, the coming Christ child, Jesus, in the flesh, and to focus on various things. In fact, there's a bulletin board out there, you may have seen it in the hallway featuring Jesus at the center. He is at the center of this month-long Advent season. And then there's four other pictures around that. Those pictures represent specific things that we've talked about the last three weeks. The first was this, that Jesus is God's promise. Uh, he not only fulfills scores and scores of Old Testament promises about him, but also he himself is God's promise for his creation. The second week, we looked at Jesus as light. And as light, Jesus reveals God's glory, uh, His nature, His character. As light, Jesus creates life. As light, Jesus guides our steps. And then last week, Jesus is God's love for the world. God's love is costly. God's love is compassionate. God's love is compelling us. God's love compels us to return that love to Him. Today, as Pastor Scott already mentioned, we've already sung, you've already heard read. Today, uh, we're going to focus on Jesus is God's hope Uh, Good news, in fact, is coming. Jesus is God's hope for the world. The Apostle Paul, in the New Testament letter of Ephesians, said this. In fact, he prayed this. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Also in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Exactly. Uh, we sing about this. In 1868, Phillips Brooks wrote the, the lyrics to the now famous carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. You remember the first verse. O Little Town of Bethlehem, How still we see thee lie, Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent Stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Well, why hope? Why even focus on this little four-letter word, hope? There's different iterations for this, but let me just give you this one anonymous quote. Human beings can live without uh, uh, without food for about 40 days we can live 4 days without water maybe 4 minutes without air but we can't live 4 seconds without hope hope is at the center of uh, what we yearn for hope is at the center of what we believe is happening this week as we celebrate christmas i mean in fact we we hope that Christmas is true. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we really want this thing to be about Jesus. We want it to be real. We need Jesus to be real. Just last week, uh, Taylor preached a message, and some of you were here on the uh, end of Romans chapter 11. In verse 33, we learned about the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, and how unsearchable are His judgments and inscrutable His ways. Well, that's part of the intrigue of this week. God does things differently than we do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, That's part of the intrigue, the mystery, the awe, the wonder of the Incarnation, the wonder of what we celebrate, what we hope for at Christmas. As I read to the children, promises had been made. For hundreds of years, promises had been made. Moses specifically had said, there's going to be a prophet that's going to be raised up a lot like me. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that that prophet would actually be born of a virgin. And even Micah named the very city where that was to uh, occur. But then about 400 years ensued of what we call prophetic silence. God was most likely still speaking to individual chosen people, his people, but from a prophetic standpoint, God went silent. And then this angel, this great warrior creature, breaks into the scene of humanity with this unbelievable news, first to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist, to him and his aged, aged wife Elizabeth, but then also to Mary, and we we see his his proclamation that nothing is impossible with God. We might think this is impossible. How's God going to rescue the world through a baby? Nothing is impossible with God, according to Gabriel. Uh, and then Mary, who undoubtedly was was confused about that announcement, uh, this 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 young girl and. She rushes off to be with her relative Elizabeth, and she finds out about her pregnancy, and then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke says, uh, prophesies about the birth of the child that is growing inside Mary as well. And we hear Mary's response. Mary's response is simply, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her understanding of God's promises led to a song, led to a song of praise, and it begins in verse 46. So in Luke chapter 1, in verse 46, we'll look at this in a little bit of detail. This is considered to be one of the most magnificent, magnificent psalms of praise in the entire New Testament. Let's look look at uh, verses 46 and 47. I'll have it on the screen. You can have it in your Bibles in front of you. Let me read it to you. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit When you hear that, when you read that, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, I'm struck with, this is amazing. Where did this come from? Well, it's interesting. This was not some carefully crafted composition by a Bible scholar off in some room somewhere. No, this is a spontaneous outpouring of deep emotion coming from a very young person, a very young girl. History, Hebrew tradition, tells us that Mary was certainly a young teenager. She quite possibly could have been 12 years old. It was customary at that time to engage or betroth your daughter in an arranged marriage to someone else. Very possibly she could have been 12, 13, 14 years old. And yet, out of her mouth pours this amazing song of praise from which we can learn a ton here this morning. We, we first noticed this, that Mary modeled um, for us what a, a mind saturated in Scripture looks like, what it sounds like. Her song of praise is modeled actually after Hannah's praise, her prayer in 1 Samuel 2, upon the birth or the coming birth of her son Samuel. Mary alludes to at least a dozen different psalms, in this song, as well as some prophets. She references Isaiah, she references Micah, she references Habakkuk. I mean think about that. How how is that even possible for a twelve or thirteen or fourteen year old girl, peasant girl really, to have that much scripture in her mind, in her heart that when she praises God she just that's where, that's what comes out. What a great model for us as well. I want you to notice again at verse 48. In verse 48, she starts with a little three-letter preposition called the, the word for, and she's simply about to give the reasons for why she's ecstatic in her praise, really the reasons for the hope that she has in her creator. In fact, we're going to look at four of those reasons that emerge out of this song of praise, and i I'm going to um, arrange them in sort of an acrostic. We'll look at four, H-O-P-E, hope. Um, and as we do that, I want us to be asking ourselves the questions, well, what are my reasons for hope? And if we don't have many, hopefully God's Word will give us some. And if we do, we'll be strengthened in our relationship this morning. So let's look at the first one. The first one is this, that God heeds our cries. God heeds Our prayers. God pays attention to our predicament. In verse 48, Mary says, He has looked on or regarded the humble estate of his servant. That word literally means to turn your eyes toward someone or something in order to give special attention to it. And with the intention, you're not just going to look at it, but you're also going to do something about whatever it is you're seeing. This is not a casual, passive glance from God. No, when God looks, He acts upon what He sees. God heeds Mary's predicament, Mary's situation, the cries of her heart. This is very similar to the Old Testament concept of inclining your ear. I love that metaphor. It's as if God is is leaning over heaven, stooping down, turning his ear in order to more clearly hear the cries from our heart. I can't help but wonder, what do you suppose Mary was crying about? Confusion? I mean, she just had an encounter with an angel, right? She'd just been on the road many miles to get to her Elizabeth, her relative. Is she anxious? Probably. She's about to give birth. She's pregnant. She's never experienced this before. This is all such a wonder. She's asking the question, Why me, God? Why have you chosen even to regard me? Well, I don't want to just leave it with Mary. How how about us? How about us? What's troubling us? In a room this size, there's got to be troubles. Troubles abound, most likely. Yeah, you know, we have much to be thankful for, but there's things that are maybe concerning us, maybe relating to our family relationships, extended family, maybe related to our job, our careers, the future, where am I going to send my kids to school, how am I going to pay for it? All those things, God heeds our cries. God heeds our predicament. God pays attention to what's concerning us as well. Secondly, God not only heeds our cries, but then God orders our lives. In fact, He orders the daily priorities of our lives. In verse 49, Mary says that God has done great things for me. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And then in verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. This expression The strength of God's arm is used frequently in the Old Testament. It's a symbol of God displaying His almighty power to carry out His saving plans for His people. God orders our lives, our priorities. It's interesting, in this song, there are multiple action words, multiple verbs. Words like looked, exalted, shown strength, scattered, brought down, filled sent away, helped, and finally spoke. And all of those words are attributed to God. This, this song is not about Mary. It's not about her circumstances, her predicament. This song is all about God. She's focusing our attention as she focuses her attention solely on God. He who is mighty. There is none like him. And as a result of that, Mary says in verse 48, that generations will call her blessed. Why? Because of who she was? Because of what she did? Because of what she accomplished? Absolutely not. Because of what God has done. And again, that's where the focus of our hope begins. It begins with God's character and who God, what, who God is and what God does. You know, here at New Life... Uh, we sing the, the song, Look What God Has Done. And I won't recite, there's about five or six verses, but I do want to mention verse two. Look what God has done. He adopted us in love. We were orphans without hope, now His children. And then the chorus goes, Who are we that He would save us? Who are we that He should send us? To God be the glory, through Christ our Savior's church, through all generations. To God be glory through Christ our Savior's work forever and ever. It's it's all about what God does. And in this case, God orders the steps of our lives. Thirdly, God provides mercy. There's an interesting shift here in the Song of Praise. Mary goes from first person pronouns, speaking of herself, to third person plural, speaking of many other people around her, and that God is providing mercy not only for her, but for generation to generation. Notice, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. That word mercy, again, it's a word that's just full of meaning that we, we need to unpack, we need to unwrap like a present to better understand it, to better grasp what Mary's really singing about. It speaks of kindness. It speaks of goodwill uh, directed toward a miserable person, an afflicted person, yet coupled with the desire that I'm going to help that person. So it's not just, it's not pity. No, it's mercy. It's kindness and goodwill with a desire to help. You've heard it said um, many times here at New Life in terms of what God's grace is. God's grace is His unmerited favor toward us. The angel Gabriel had already said, God is expressing His favor to you, giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is God not giving us what we do deserve. And so God provides mercy, Mary says. She says in verse 53 that he has filled the hungry with good things. And that's filled to the full. We lived in uh, Thailand for a while, and when you would go to the gas station to fill up with petrol, you would you would just say top up. That means to, to fill it full to the very top where it's actually starting to spill out. That's what this word means. To be filled full, to be satiated, to be uh, satisfied fully. And then in verse 54... He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Once again, that word helped, it means a lot more than just what we would say like, hey, I'm going to give you a hand, I'm going to help you today. There's an old English word that we don't use anymore, but it it, it communicates more fully what's going on here. It's the word succor. And it has behind it the idea, as does Mary's language, the idea of a, of a strong embrace. It means to lay hold of, to lay fast, to be held in a strong embrace. I wonder, do we, are we feeling like we need a strong embrace from God? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too. Oftentimes when I pray on behalf of other people who are going through some very difficult times, that's my prayer, is that maybe for healing, maybe for success, whatever, but also that they would feel God's warm embrace, strong embrace. That's what this word is. That's how God helps us. He wraps us in His loving arms and He provides mercy. And then finally, God expands His promises. (laughs) Promises. <laughs> Thankfully so, because the rest of us are included in that. This isn't Mary just writing about or singing about herself or even her people, the people of Israel. She she goes on to say God has expanded his promises. In verse fifty, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Times gone in the past and times yet to come in the future. And then in the very last couple of verses. She references the fact that, in, again, in remembrance to his mercy, he has spoken to our forefathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God continues to communicate the truth of his love and the truth of his word today. This isn't this isn't a static, stale, and musty and dusty book uh, like a history book. No, God continues uh, to to provide the things that he provided for Mary. God heeds our cries and our prayers. God orders our lives and our priorities. God provides mercy. And God expands His promises. So, that leaves us with the question, where are we placing our hope? Are we placing our hope in our upbringing? In our position? In prestige? Are we placing our hope in our Abilities, uh, maybe our experiences, maybe our training, our education. Do we place our hope in political power? Do we place our hope in our wealth? Mary, in her song, exemplifies what a humble, faithful disciple does. I want us to uh, be encouraged by her model. Let's, let's saturate our minds and our hearts in the Bible daily so that Our words and our thoughts will be filled with Scripture, will be naturally arising in our mouths as it was for Mary's. Biblical hope, defined in this passage and elsewhere in the Scripture, is is an eager state of anticipation. But it's a state of anticipation that's based on God's character, on who God is, and on what God has done, His faithful actions. Not on our current Circumstances, not on what life is like for us right now, and as a result of basing our hope on His character and His His faithfulness, we can trust then that the future will be better than it is the, than, than the present, and that He will be in control of that. In other words, uh, we can join the psalmist David in Psalm 39, proclaiming, "And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in You." The God who was for Mary is the God who is for us. The God who was working in Mary's life is the same God who was working in our lives. He's hovering over our chaos, so to speak. He's creating us anew and afresh every day. God is not a God at some distance from us. God is here with us, the very meaning of the term Emmanuel. God with us, among us. Mary's God is our God, and Mary's song is our song. And in Jesus Christ, we sing a similar song of praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this um, very pointed reminder from a young Jewish girl that we can have hope, and our hope is based in you. We thank you for this season to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing to love us in such a way that you would come to be with us, to live among us, and to live just like us, yet without sin, and then to die for us, only to be raised again on our behalf, that we might live life in great hope for the future. Lord, would you take uh, the truths of this passage and would you drive them, drill them down deep into our hearts so that as we celebrate this week with our families and our friends and maybe even total strangers, that we would truly celebrate uh, the true meaning of what this season is about and that our hope is in you and in you alone. We pray this in the precious and the holy and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.